Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And forgive me this morning if my voice is a little hoarse. Uh, We just happened to beat a little uh, football team up the road in Bernie, and I lost my voice Friday night saying, Way to go, Tyvee! Now, I have to be careful about that because my secretary has a son who coaches for that team, and she occasionally brings food into my office that I do not want tainted, so uh, I have to be nice about that. We're going to win this war on worry. And who better to equip us with how than the old Apostle Paul who writes of anxiety's antidote from a prison of all places. If you can know peace, I'm guessing from behind bars, and surely you have something to share with those of us who are outside them. And so we've been unpacking what Paul had to say about living a life of peace. Peace Talks is the series name. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 is serving as the foundational verse for this series. And we're just unpacking this phrase by phrase. And so let's dive into it this morning. By throwing your shoulders back, filling your lungs with air and your heart with hope, and sharing, again, Philippians 4, 7 together as a church. Let's read. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends standing, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the church said, Let's pray. Father, my voice needs your help. Please um, intervene in a way that only you can and help me to, um, to speak clearly and not be a distraction. But more than a voice, Father, we want to hear from your voice. And we're asking that through the power of the Spirit, truly, what we have just read, would you help that to be truth in our lives, not just truth in our mouths? We, we know we're not the only disciples who are seeking to be oasises of peace, influencers of peace and joy in this world. We pray for Holy Cross Lutheran Church this morning and ask that uh, along with those disciples, we will join together as one body, one voice, um, one place, one group of people where, where the world can know they can find peace. And they know it because they've seen you alive in us. And we ask this with all of our hearts and everybody said, Amen. The widest river in the world is not the Mississippi. (laughs) And it's not the Amazon. And it's not the Nile. The widest river in the world is a body of water called the If Only. Millions of people stand on the banks of this river casting longing eyes across the water of what we know as the if only, and I say we because I've been one of those standing on its banks, who's been looking on the other side of the river for something that was going to make my life full of joy, something that was going to change my life and fill it with peace. If only I was thinner, if only I had the promotion, if only I were married to him, if only I were married to her, some of you have thought. If only I wasn't married at all, some of you have thought. If only the kids would call, if only the kids would leave, life would be great. 
standing on the banks of the river of if only, everything looks like it's only just a step away, but on the other side. I wonder, is there an if only that's separating you from joy this morning? I wonder if there's an if only that's stealing your peace. A promotion, an operation, a pay raise, an election. When I was in the fifth grade, it was braces. As you may have noticed, I didn't get those. But in the fifth grade, it was braces. If only I could get braces. And when I got older, it was a girlfriend, a car, killing a world-class whitetail with my bow, paying my house off paying off my girls' college loans, if only I could, has changed all through my life. But at the time, I was convinced whatever was in the category of my if only, I was convinced it would make my life better forever. And I'm just asking, are you thinking of anything that would fit in that blank? If only I could have, what would that be? If only I could experience, if only I could make this mine, then I just know life would be never the same. Well, if the answer is, yeah, I've got something like that. Well, we've probably found the source of your anxiety, or at least one of them. Because you've based your happiness on either a possession or a circumstance, and neither one of those is very reliable. You see, if you make either your focus, either a possession or a circumstance, then like most of us, you're going to do whatever it takes to get a hold of that only to be disappointed because it can't deliver. Experience the rush of getting it? Oh, yeah. Experience the thrill of accomplishment? You betcha. Will you realize quickly also that this kind of joy is just momentary and, and fleeting at best? Oh, yes. And we end up in this never-ending cycle of pursuing this and that and this and that, thinking, that's going to make me happy, and this is going to make me happy. And it's like this roller coaster with its ups and its downs. I'm happy one day, and I'm, I'm disappointed the next, and I'm happy one day, and I'm disappointed the next. And you know what? Roller coasters are fun for about two and a half minutes. But a whole life? Yeah. Not so good. Not so good. You like that picture? Yeah. The Apostle Paul has an idea of an antidote for that level of anxiety that some of you may be experiencing right now. And it's not a ride you're on. It's just called life. And I've worried about you this week. Ah, that's a poor choice of words. I've been concerned. Because I don't want you living like this. Neither does God. The Apostle Paul has an idea. He suggests that our joy increases not when our possessions or our circumstances change, but when our attitude towards those possessions and those circumstances change. I want you to see this morning that it's central to what Paul teaches as the truth key that sets us free from our very own personal prisons of anxiety. Here's what he's going to say. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. That's where we're going to focus this morning. You present your request to God. And here's the word of the Lord. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. 
Last week we saw that the pathway to peace is paved with prayer. Consistent prayer, steady prayer, moment-by-moment prayer. Paul said, you pray about everything, in every situation, whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is that you're in need of, before it can get to you, you take it to God in prayer. In Ephesians 6 and verse 12, Paul says, I'm telling you, prayer is essential. In this ongoing warfare that we find ourselves in, pray hard and pray long, not just for yourselves, but you pray for your brothers and sisters also. That's how much we need prayer in our lives. So every time worry raises its ugly head, we pray it back. We respond in prayer, spontaneous prayer, morning prayer, before bedtime prayer. We pray before the cradle. We pray while we're driving, eyes open. We pray at the table. We're always praying because we understand God says this is a weapon against the enemy in the darkness that is a must in every Christian's life. It's a must. But not just any form of prayer. This prayer, Paul says, needs to be, hear me, based in gratitude. With thanksgiving, he says, when you pray, make sure thanksgiving is always there. Why? Because anxiety gets punched in the mouth. Punched in the mouth when we pray. And our hearts are filled, not just sprinkled with, not just adorned with, but filled with gratitude. Because gratitude reminds us of God's already made great provision in my life. Regardless of what it is I'm coming to Him with that fits in the need category. Gratitude takes us away from the riverbank of if only. And it leads us into the fertile valley of already. The anxious heart says, if only I had. And the grateful heart says, oh, but I already have. Can't you see? And there's such a difference. And you know what, God? If, if, if I could have this or if you could work here, it would be great. But I've already got you with me and I've already, I've already got all this. Wow. That's a different way to live. God has filled my life with so many things already. Sure, there's some stuff that I'd like to see in my bucket. There's a a bucket all of us have in our hearts. Did you know that? And inside this bucket is filled with all the things we believe are essential to having life to the full. And every now and then, every single one of us in this room gets to feeling like our bucket's empty. And it's never empty. If you're sitting in this room this morning, your bucket's full. If you're listening to me on, on, on MP3 or whatever, your bucket's full that you could be listening to me on something like an electronic device. Our lives are full and we just don't take the time to stop and remember. Thank you, Coley, for, for helping us stop today to remember that no matter what happens today, what happens the rest of this week, there is a Christ who gave his life for me so that I could forever be with God. And he took upon himself my sins and gave me his righteousness. That's not going to leave you. It's just not. But I forget about it. Anxiety thrives on a bucket in my heart that I believe to be empty. So we're going to do a little exercise this morning, real short, real quick, get out one of these bulletins or get out one of these cards here, the visitor's cards are in the pew pocket there, find something to write with, lipstick, that'll work, pen, pencil, there's usually some right there in front of you also, 
But everybody gets something. We're going to spend just a little bit of time looking in the bucket, all right, and remembering how full it is. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to write down five things, just five, of things that you have right now in your life, whether it be a great family, whether it be air you're breathing, whether it be foods you ate this morning, you're going to eat, clothes on your back, that you drove here, you don't have to walk them, whatever you want to fill, take 15 minutes, no, 15 seconds, and write them down. Go. Just start listing them. Five more seconds. Okay, no matter how many you have there, just stop and look at them for a second. Let that just kind of fill your mind and your heart. Now, those things are already in your bucket. And it's interesting, I'm guessing, that as your gratitude increased for what's already in your bucket, anxiety has been decreasing. Just a little. Because when the light of gratitude walks in, I'm telling you, anxiety like a roach crawls out the back door. Because the, the roach of anxiety can't handle the light of gratitude shining on it. It can't. Gratitude always trumps anxiety. That's what Paul's trying to say. Those aren't my words. It's not my thoughts. It's, it's not even my understanding. Because I've experienced this, but you know what? I let loose of it just like you do. I do. And this week has been so helpful, especially with the week that I've been through, to remember how much I have. Yes, I miss my dad. Several of you have already asked about me this week. For those of you who are visiting, my dad passed away Tuesday morning. But yay, God, my dad died a follower of Jesus Christ, and life got better at 3.30 in the morning. Cancer over, dad in the presence of Christ. Nothing can take that away. I'm a little tired from dealing with all the stuff and the details, but I can't tell you, my heart's full. I'm a little envious of him this morning. He gets to see what I only know by faith. And I'm grateful. Paul says, hang on to that, Jim, because that's the secret. Don't you love secrets? I do. Sometimes I'm not very good at keeping them, but I love secrets. And Paul says, I want to let you in on the secret of how you can live this life contented. You're thinking like I am. Not many people know the secret, right? Not many of the folks that I, I get to rub shoulders with seem like they're contented and full of peace and full of joy. And Paul says, I am. And I'd like to share with you how you can be. He says, the tranquil, thankful, enjoy a peace that, number one, isn't dependent upon possessions. The thankful, tranquil, enjoy a peace that isn't dependent upon possessions. His wasn't. Nothing that he had of any value in his life could be purchased, could be parked in a garage. Did he have to make a mortgage payment on? Listen to his own words in Philippians 4.11. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living or in plenty or in want. I, I can do all this through him who strengthens me, who gives me strength. Now, I've heard that last verse, verse 13, quoted in all kinds of sporting situations. Oh, I can catch this pass because of him who strengthens me. Or, or this test, I can pass this test because of him who strengthens me. Paul says, 
really where that's grounded is this. I can live a contented life at peace with joy in my heart because of him who strengthens me. I like that. So does your happiness depend upon what you drive? I think that's a valid question to ask and for you to answer. Does your happiness depend upon what you drive? Or what phone you have in your hand? Or what you deposit in the bank? Or what cologne spray you put on? Or the weight you pray to take off? If so, you're setting yourself up for anxiety. Because we know that what I drive and what I wear and what I deposit in a bank changes from day to day and sometimes week to week. It's so flippant and so fickle. Which is why heaven does not know you by what you own. So why would you know you by what you own? Jesus himself says in Luke 12 and verse 15, Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. So heaven doesn't look at you and say, Wow, that's a new family with a new house. All right. He doesn't look at you and say, Whoa, that's the woman with the Louis Vuitton. Is, am I saying that right? Yeah, Louis Vuitton bag. I don't carry those too much, but I saw one the other day. They don't look at you guys and go, Oh, a Lamborghini dude. Look at that guy. But he does look down and say, That's my child in whom my spirit dwells. That's the one that my son gave his life for. Heaven doesn't know us for our stuff because my stuff is destined, listen to me, for the trash bin. That's what Paul says. All the, the things, all the positions, all the stuff I've owned, it's like rubbish. He actually uses a little bit more colorful word. It's like poop compared to knowing Christ. Wow, really? You can say that in the Bible? Yes, it's in there. Read it sometime. It, it just, it's, it's destined for the rubbish bin compared to knowing Christ. Maybe you heard of the hillbilly that was invited to a wealthy man's mansion to take a tour. When he went into the wealthy man's penthouse, he was wide-eyed because he really wasn't all that sophisticated, never had seen a place like this, didn't know how to act in a place like this. But the wealthy man showed him around, let him see his famous paintings and his antique furnishings and his beautiful fountains. And the hillbilly didn't know what to say except for, wow, until they got to one specific room. And the wealthy man took him in, and it was his favorite room. It was his pride and joy. And he said, all of the furniture in here goes back to Louis XIV. And the hillbilly said, I can relate to that. I got a couch that's going back to Sears on the 13th. <laughs> it all goes back, Paul says. Eventually, it all goes back. The old quip is as true today as it was 50 years ago when it was made up. You don't see a U-Haul behind any hearse because it all stays here. The cell phones, the jewelry, the clothing, the homes, all of it. The trophies, the plaques, the awards, the titles, they all stay here. So let me ask you this. Why would you make your peace dependent upon what you have? The Apostle Paul says the secret lies not in a list of possessions, but hear me, in a list of gifts that I've received from God that nobody can take away. His list had on it forgiven. Known by God, cherished by God, eternally destined to be in the presence of God, about to receive an inheritance right along with Jesus from God. All those things 
None of those things could be taken from him. All of them were his forever. And Paul says, because of it, I can find joy in any and every situation. That's his secret. The second part of the secret is this. He said his peace isn't dependent upon possessions, but he also goes on to say it's not dependent upon circumstances. I love how Jeff Walling used to say this. His happiness didn't depend upon his happenings. And that was true of Paul. His happiness didn't depend on his happenings. Because circumstances, whether good or bad, couldn't steal his joy. Now they could put him in jail in Philippi. He'd just be singing at midnight. They could put him in jail in Rome and he'd just write letters that we're studying here 2,000 years ago. Nero could sentence him to death. I was okay with Paul. Because according to Paul, here's what he says. For me to live is Christ. Next slide, guys. But to die is gain. Well, that sounds biblical, but could it be real? Remember, before any of these letters were ever in the Bible, they were just letters to people that were testimonies of what Paul knew to be true in his life. And remember, this was a Christian hater turned Christian lover and Christian teacher because he met that Christ on a road called Damascus. And he's writing this, this letter from a prison. And he's writing these words, and they were so powerful at the time, and they've stayed powerful over the centuries. We're reading them today. For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That's, that, that's stunning, but it, it's also a summary of his life. And it leads me to ask you this question. Is it yours? If we had to talk about you leaving the world this week, would this be attached to your name? That, that to live was Christ and to die, it, it meant just life got better. That's what we knew about you. So let's take a reality test. Since we're taking surveys and tests and stuff like that, what would you put in that last blank? For me to live is my health. For me to live is... A sound, solid retirement. For me to live is great family. For me to live is a great job. Now, I've listed some really cool things that are just good things. Nothing that I think we'd put in the optional category. Paul says for me to live is not contingent on anything I'm going to lose. And all those things that I just mentioned, you're going to lose. And so that makes your dealing with anxiety a little iffy. If you fill that blank with anything but, for me to live is what? Christ. Not always live that way. Trying to. Experienced the best moments of my life when it was true. But there's another guy who, who would say the same thing, not just Paul. So we know that there was not just one guy who, who kind of came up with something a little doofy and put it in a, a Bible and, or, or a letter and it made it in way, its way into the Bible and now it's in our lives. No, there, there's someone else who would say, no, for me to live is Christ too. His name is Peter. I want to close out the lesson this morning by talking about Peter a little bit. 
For some of you, it may be important to know. For others of you, it may not be. Peter actually walked with Christ while Jesus lived here on the earth. Paul knew about him, uh, actually detested him, as I said a little bit earlier. He was a Christian terrorist for a while because he thought that the influence of the Christians was going to destroy his religion. It actually was just a, a false cult, and so he was trying to stamp it out. But on a road to Damascus one day, this Christian hater meets Christ, and he gives his life to him a couple of days later. Peter, however, for three and a half years, ate with Jesus, watched him teach, heard him teach, saw him do miracles, lived with him day in, day out for three and a half years. And it started on a day when Peter went fishless the night before, which was an occupational hazard for Peter because he was a fisherman by trade. I fish for fun. I fish for something else other than our standard stuff that we eat at the sportsman house because I love fish. Peter, however, he fished to feed his family. That's different. But on this particular day, he had been fishing and hadn't caught anything all night long, and he's got his boat up on shore, and they're cleaning the nets, and there's this rabbi that he's listening to preach fairly close by because he's watching the crowd swell, and it's become so large, the guy can't, he can barely keep his feet out of the water. And so he turns, and I don't know if he says Simon or Peter by name, he says, Sir, can I use your boat? For a pulpit, and he says, sure. Helps him climb in, pushes it out of the way, drops the anchor, and all of a sudden, Jesus is preaching again. And when he's done, this is the stuff we remember. When he's done, he turns to this fisherman who didn't have such a good night last night. He says, would you like to go fishing again? And we all know, if we've done anything all night long, I got to do that a couple of nights ago. If we did anything all night long, you, you don't want to do anything but find a good meal in a bed early in the morning. And so Peter says, no, nah, I, I really don't. He doesn't say that. And we know we have all kinds of reasons in the world why not. Uh, we know, because we've heard this story before, that the best fishing is in the evening. It's not in the heat of the day when, when they're cleaning their nets. We know he's bone-weary tired. We know that there's a little bit of ego at stake here. In front of all these people, you're going to make me go fish when I didn't catch anything last night. But there's something that happens there. And Jesus asks him to go, and he says, okay. And sure enough, they go out, and the first time the net hits the water, bam. I mean, Peter's arms are almost jerked out of his sockets. Fish are everywhere. There's so many fish, he can't even put them in his own boat. He says, James, John, get over here. And so they bring their boats over, and they're loading these fish inside. And it's incredible. I mean, we've heard this story so many times. You could tell this story better than I could, but this is incredible. Maybe this is the catch of all Galilean Sea history. We don't know. Boom, three boats of fish. They, are, they got fish up to their eyeballs. They've got, they're flush with fish. Fish are everywhere. And it may not have been the catch of the century, but it was the catch of Peter's life. And what's amazing to me is that he wasn't thinking money. <laughs> I would have been. May not have been thinking fish. This is, this is bank, buddy. This is, wow, I can pay off this and I can pay off that and I can take the kids to here for dinner tonight and I can get Gail that seashell necklace I've been wanting to get her. I can just think of all the things this money could buy. 
And maybe if I can get Jesus to be back tomorrow, he could come back and work his little mojo. We could retire in three years. I'm telling you, this is incredible. And, and maybe he turned to ask Jesus if he would be a part of his business. I don't know. But, but Jesus turns to him and says, I'd like for you to be a part of mine. Here's what Luke tells a story, or how he tells a story. He was awestruck, Peter was, by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John and the sons of Zebedee, they were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, whose name was later changed to Peter, Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed him. And this still stuns me. Really? Three boats of fish. Are you kidding me? The record catch of my life. What is it about him that would make me want to leave them and go with him instead of enjoy all of that? I mean, that's what I've been waiting for. That's what's been across the, the river. Of, if only I could have a catch like that then. And all of that changes when this man walks into his life and asks him to follow him. I don't know what caused him to go, but I've been learning since I was 11 years old and started down this path called Christianity, called being a follower of Christ. I've been learning what it is to know him. And again, not by sight. Not with this big dog miracle that was dropped in my lap that at the moment of, of do I... Do I continue with what I want to do or, or do I go with what Jesus wants me to do? It wasn't one of those. No, I've had those in my life and y'all have known of a couple of them. But over the years I've learned that as I have banked it on him, saying I would rather be with him than all of that in the world, my life has been amazing. Trouble free. Not but almost anxiety-free. I have my moments, but it doesn't own me. It doesn't rule me, and it doesn't have to own you. That's God's Word, not mine. I'm just trying to repeat it for Him and trying to be one of those testimonies that says, I'm not Peter by any means, but I have learned over the last couple of years trying to follow this Christ in my life that He has grace for every sin. That he is a source of wisdom and strength and joy and peace that never dries up. And if you don't know that yet, Jesus wants to offer you more than just some lifeless list of rules and regulations of religion. He wants to offer you, listen to me, a relationship with him. A real bona fide relationship. And Jesus is walking up and down the river of your if only, whispering, it's not out there. It's with me right here. It's with me right here. Listen, I hope you find the perfect mate. I do. I hope you drive the dream car of your life. I hope you live in the dream home of your life. But please know this. They're not going to fill you with life. <laughs> no way. Momentarily, yes. Man, is it a rush to get those things? Yes. But sustain you? No. You just won't. No human being, no thing can fill your heart's desire. Because as Ron's teaching downstairs, you are hardwired for this relationship with God. And without it, field day for anxiety in your life, field day for worry, field day for fear. 
But with him, peace, real joy, lasting joy, purpose, life to the full. And so that's why we're falling head over heels with him as fast as we can and stay in. Now, if there are any other satisfied customers like me, would you just say, yay, God? Yay, God. This lesson in a nutshell, what you have in Christ is greater than anything you don't have in life. What you have in Christ is greater than anything you don't have in life. And for that, I hope this morning we are thankful. And if you are, you know we're talking peace. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning and we, we do, we want to end the service by just, just announcing to the world, you are all to us. You. Nothing else fills that blank. For, for me to live is like you do. And you know our hearts. There's those moments when we buy into the commercials and what someone has next door and we want one of those too, thinking that life's there. But we have come this morning to gather as one voice and to remind ourselves and to praise you for it that you are all to us. And in Jesus' name we prayed and everyone said, let's praise in church.